Good morning. We're back on All Things Apostolic. I'm Dr. Nathaniel Wilson. I'm with Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks, uh, pastor and top-notch uh, Bible scholar um, from Coleman, Alabama. We talked yesterday about truth. Uh, we're actually moving toward, we think we are moving toward an eschatological discussion a discussion of last things and of prophecy, but we're taking a little time to get there and we're trying to emphasize some very important things. We talked about some hermeneutical uh, platforms that we consider to be basic and non-negotiable. Um, we talked about, um, yesterday, we talked about truth and um, uh, several perspectives on truth, not perspectives on whether things have to be true, but different kinds of truth or different sorts of truth. And so um, um, if you if you want to review that, just go go listen to yesterday's uh, uh, session and and you'll get that. We were just finishing that up and um, Pastor Wilbanks, you were talking about we ended up on theological truth. We talked about philosophical truth. We talked about hermeneutical truth. Um, and uh, we had talked about, just begin to talk about, uh, well, we talked a little bit about theological truth. So maybe you could just kind of start there. Um, but where we're going with this is scriptural truth. How mm -hmm. do we uh, get scriptural truth? How, yes. How, how do we use scripture in such a way that we're going to get scripture through? So can you talk about that a little bit? And uh, then we'll move forward from there. Yes. So uh, theological truth is not just cognitive. It doesn't do away with the cognitive, but it, it also embraces, and this is one that this is what you talked about uh, yesterday. It also doesn't do away with the cognitive, but it also uh, has the experiential in it. Uh, by experiential, we mean knowing God. Uh, knowing the truth ultimately means knowing God because truth is found in God, originates in God. Uh, so knowing truth is knowing God experientially, does not do away with the cognitive. So the question hermeneutically that we automatically come to and, I, and obviously come to is uh, how has God made himself known? How does God make truth known? And the way he's made himself known uh, is through Scripture. So this gets us to truth as it's found in Scripture. Well, truth as it's found in Scripture is embedded in and emerges out of a narrative, a story. Um, we didn't get truth in bullet points. We didn't get, uh, he didn't give us, I, we jokingly preach like this, that this, that the Bible is our manual for life, but we didn't get a manual. We got yeah. a narrative. We got a story. Uh, in fact, even some of the, the the writings that are not necessarily narrative, maybe epistles or something of the sort, Psalms, without the narrative, those books don't make sense. So uh, the basic understanding of Scripture as we interpret it is that truth is found in, embedded in, and emerges from a narrative. Can I, so, can I just ask you a question there? Sure. Uh, uh, first of all, anybody that doesn't know what we mean by narrative, it's a story. A yes. narrative is a story. And so I love I, I love what you're saying is that the Bible is more than anything else a compilation of stories yes. that um, 
make up a large story. Yes, there you go. So, uh, and maybe you can talk about that a little bit, Mm -hmm. is that all of these narratives are part of uh, a a big story, a meta-narrative. It's it's a big story. Uh, But the fact that it's story, just think for a moment while you're talking about, uh, just start in Genesis. uh, uh, just, Just think about this. It's the story of the creation. Mm-hmm. It's the story of Adam and Eve. It's the story of uh, the Abraham. Uh, the 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 in Genesis six through eight the story of Noah. Yes. It's then it's the story of man's violence and rebellion against God and Nimrod. Then mm-hmm. it's the story of Abraham. Then Isaac, Jacob, uh, his Joseph. twelve sons, Canaan, Moses. Mm-hmm. So you've got this this whole. To me, this is just a, an important truth. I don't know why it seems so important to me, but it's important to understand what uh, uh, Pastor Wilbanks is saying is that uh, this, uh, most of the Bible, not all of it, but most of the Bible is this story stuff. I'm a little bit intrigued by that. Go ahead. I'm, you know, most of it is, most of it is directly a story. All of it is attached to a story. Uh, You don't know what I, you don't know what Isaiah is talking about unless you understand the the fall and the promise of the restoration of Israel. Uh, Isaiah is going to be prophesying about all that. Jeremiah is going to be prophesying all, about all of that. So even the parts that aren't uh, story directly are attached to that story. So uh, the big question as hermeneutes or as interpreters of scripture, the big question for us is if truth is embedded and emerges out of a story, um, the the big the the implication is that truth to get at it you have to dig to get at it you have to interpret you have to mine out you have to ferret out you have to unpack that's the popular theological way to explain that or preaching way to to explain that there's a lot that has to be unpacked out of that story if you're going to get to the truth because scriptural truth hides itself uh, but it does it in plain sight uh, throughout the length of the story so what you just pointed out. There's a meta narrative, a large narrative, and all of these stories fit into it. So uh, this is what this means for us. The implication for an interpreter is this. Um, the reader of Scripture, when he comes to Scripture, when he, when he picks up his Bible and he reads it, whether you've been educated in it or you're picking up your Bible for the first time, the reader of Scripture is unavoidably more than just a reader they automatically, as soon as you pick it up and begin to read, you become an interpreter. Uh, whether, like I said, whether this is the first time you've ever picked your Bible up or it's the thousandth time you've ever picked your Bible up, you're not just reading scripture, you're interpreting scripture. So if, if truth is our interpretive goal, you have to recognize as you're reading as you're moving through the story, you have to recognize how the story and the narrative moves along in its different, in its different segments. Um, you have to ask yourself as an interpreter, you have to ask yourself questions like, are there divisions in the narrative, uh, divisions in the narrative that introduce different elements? Um, and, and are these elements vital to the development of the story? Elements like promise, elements, elements like covenant. Uh, all of these are elements that are within the story. They don't, they don't work unless they fit into elements, that story. Elements like judgment. Yes. 
judgment. Uh, Elements like failure. Yes. Uh, the introduction of sin, all of these. Uh, then uh, other elements like major characters. We may, we listed some of them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those are the fathers. And then you get to Moses and then uh, David, all of these major characters. Uh, one of the big questions that we have to, and I'm curious what you would say to this, one of the big elements, uh, ways to look at it, is as you're reading that story, you kind of become aware that there are different administrations of God's plan. By story, we mean that God has a plan. I think this is what you were talking about all the way through. After the fall of man, you, you, there's this plan that moves all the way through Scripture, and we can read it in the story. At different points in that story, at different points in that story, there looks, it looks like there are different administrations of God's plan that are there. Uh, and I think this is a part of arriving at the end and finding the truth is locating those different administrations of that story as we move along. Well, to me, out of everything we've talked about so far, this is the most interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting because we're talking about many stories that all are umbrellaed into making a meta story or meta narrative. Yes. And, uh, and that this is how the Bible is constructed. Mm -hmm. That that is true is pretty simple. So to be just a little bit repetitious, there is a progression. It seems to me in these stories, a progression, it, Adam and Eve, uh, in the garden, um, they have never sinned. They are innocent. Um, they sin. And for lack of a better term, you, you have to use words to describe what happened. Uh, but they now are aware. The sin has made them aware of sin mm -hmm. and that they have transgressed, which we would say, uh, they, they have a conscience mm -hmm. and, uh, then the story moves on through their children and, and down through the progression of the human race. It continues to progress. It yes. talks about the violence among the people to the degree that God sends a flood. There's judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, he saves Moses and his sons. They come out of the flood and God gives them uh, a, a promise that now will be established. Actually, it's the first place. It's the first place in the Bible that ever mentions capital punishment mm -hmm. in, in Genesis chapter nine. And, and this, that it, that it mentions that indicates that there is a form of government now yes. that uh, of, of human government. It's not just kind of general and random, but, but man has a uh, human government. So, and then um, from there, God actually chooses the family of Abraham. Up to that time, Genesis 1 through 11, and I don't want to get too verbose here, so interrupt me if you want to, but up till that time, Genesis 1 through 11, God deals with the whole human race in general. Everybody. Everybody. And then, bang, it gets so bad that uh, by Genesis 11, they're trying to get to heaven without God. Yep. And they're trying to make a name for themselves instead of God giving them a name. Build a tower, and then yeah. God calls Abraham a single 
man who becomes, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better name, a, a, a patriarch. Yes. And this patriarch has uh, a family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and God gives us patriarch promises. So there is an immediate change there from God speaking to the human race generally mm-hmm. and in an unmediated way. It's not mediated through anybody particularly as a people. Yeah. Then in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it now from now on he says, I'm going to speak to all the people in the world mediated through you and your children, which we are by faith. Yes. Now, it's just that this story has these elements of progression, mm-hmm. that these stories have all of those major themes that you just talked about um, yes. uh, of, of promise. Administration, yeah. Yeah, failure, then hope. Covenant. Uh, yeah, and judgment, and and God makes covenants, which are, which are promises. Um, they're not unilateral promises. They're bilateral. He, well, they're unilateral in that he makes the promise and then we are to respond in certain ways. So, yes. Um, so it does have a two way effect. Go ahead. Now, structurally, uh, not entering the, the narrative itself, but structurally what we're talking about, all of these different elements, we've used the term administration, but, and then elements involved in it structurally, this is how you read this is how you read literature period, whether you're reading scripture or you're reading Charles Dickens, or you're reading a cowboy novel by Louis L'Amour, whoever you are aware that as a story moves along, there are certain, there are certain breaks in the story. And on this side of the break, these elements uh, happen. But then as soon as we get to this part of the, uh, this break in the story, something else is introduced, an element is introduced. Sometimes it's a, uh, a mentality. Sometimes it's a new character. Sometimes it's uh, some kind of a breakthrough in the literature. New and you are aware that from this break forward, things are different. This happens in, this is how you read literature. Um, uh, I think that literary writers are following a pattern. Maybe it's just built in by God. This is how we write stories, that there are certain movements. And on one side of a, a literary break to the other. The most basic literary break that you see in a book is called a chapter. And you're aware that I'm reading chapter seven, but then something happens uh, at the end of chapter seven. And when we start chapter eight, there is a whole different set. It's not just a continuation. It's not just a retelling of what we just had in chapter seven, but in chapter eight of whatever piece of literature I'm reading, I'm aware that there's a new set of elements that are introduced and the story to one degree or another, most of the time to a great degree, is changed because of the elements that are introduced. Uh, so this is part of this is not this is not something strange. Uh, the way we structurally look at scripture, it's not something strange. This is how you read literature. Uh, this is how this is how you read literature. This is on one side of a break. There's these elements, and those elements may carry forward to the other one. But there's going to be things introduced that change the nature of the way we read those things. So the way we interpret a narrative becomes very important. Uh, the ability to interpret a narrative is very important. If you don't have the ability to interpret a narrative, the, the all of the elements don't mean what they're supposed to mean. In fact, you can get into big trouble if you don't understand how narratives are interpreted. So, yeah. And 
and you can, uh, as you know, there's there's a there's a group of books in the world that are called classical books, classic literature. the classics. They're called the classics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the great books, most of which, if not all, are classics. Yes. Well, why is a book called a classic? It's called a classic because it deals with the major themes that would be of interest or of challenge or something that needs to be overcome throughout human history. Universal. No matter what yes. nation you're from, no matter what color you are, no matter what language you are, uh, no matter what era you lived in, these themes of this particular story would be of interest to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's the size of the themes that make classic stories identified as classic. And then, of course, the treatment of those themes by uh, people who are nothing less than ingenious, oftentimes, that write classic stories. Well, people that's people that reads uh, shallow literature like modern day novels that are just, I mean, they're like, sure. uh, they're, they're escape mm-hmm. mechanisms to get their mind off of things that are uh, exhausting in everyday life. Those don't, those aren't like classic. They just deal with themes that whatever comes to the author's mind that can sell the book that people's interested in or increase patriotism or something. Mm-hmm. But, but those classic themes, life, death, pain, poverty, <laughs> overcoming challenges, um, succeeding, um, development of relationships. These things are all classic themes that, that are part of the meta narrative of the human race. Right. So when we go back to the Bible, and apply these same things. Uh, all of these stories are classic stories that create God's meta narrative or God's overarching story that tells about His dealings with man, how the earth and 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 mankind started, the progression. You, you got to understand that the story has a progression. I mean, I don't know how anybody could doubt that when you look progression just say abraham isaac jacob and joseph and, yeah. and the and the 12 sons and, and moses and aaron and joshua and i mean there there is this this progression even in the new testament there is progression so so uh the, there is a movement there so each of those stories some of those stories are bigger than others yes and they qualify as stories where if you're going to speak biblical language, they are stories where God made big covenants, classic covenants with mm-hmm. those particular men. And so I think everybody agrees that uh, that's why we have the Edenic covenant. And mm-hmm. we can go into all this later and the Adamic covenant and so forth. Uh, but that's all part of the breaks that Pastor here is talking about. Uh, and if I'm wrong, you correct me, Pastor, but these are some of the breaks in the story that move it along. Yes. Or if you don't want to say breaks, it's the movements in the yes. story. And then uh, the last thing you said I was very interested in is that um, uh, each of these stories 
that in our case, in the Bible, <clears throat> are orchestrated by God. God is the author of these stories. And in these stories, God is revealing to us. And it, what you just said was so important. And in a minute, I hope you'll elaborate on that a, a little bit more um, about, about those stories revealing and the way those stories uh, are important to give us revelation. But in the meantime, all of these stories are moving. And in each of those stories, God dealt with Adam in a certain way. And you progress after the fall. There's your break. There's your new mm -hmm. chapter or whatever yes. that, that you're talking about. Then God deals with Adam in a different way. And yes. then if, if you progress on down here, um, uh, God never told Adam to make some altar. But when you get to Noah, he builds an altar. Right. So, so it's not a change in God's love for man or God relating to man, but it is a progressive unfolding of how God and man relates. And the further you go in the Bible, the more complex those things become Right. Uh, until you get to the giving of the law, which is uh, the height of the complexity in the Old Testament. So I, I, I think when we understand that these are the these are stories which are progressive and and they bring us to an understanding, it's, it's just such a major and important thing. And how to interpret what those stories are saying. Can you address that just one more time? Yes. So uh, what's important to pick up is the as you're moving through, and I, this is this is a little repetitive again, but as you're moving through, you understand first of all that there is a meta narrative that it's it's huge, it's massive, it's God's plan, it's God's meta narrative. As you move through, all of these smaller stories have to fit into it, and the way they fit into it, the word that we've used is administrations um, for this podcast. Ultimately, it'll be the word dispensation, and that's how each of these time periods is broken down. Uh, and these covenants, these elements that are involved in it are all a part of God's administrative process moving through, moving through the meta narrative. So it becomes important for us to know how to interpret a narrative and not just to interpret a narrative, uh, make a slight distinction here, not just to interpret a, a small narrative, one of the smaller stories, but it becomes important for us to know how to interpret the meta narrative. And there are elements, uh, that are important for both of those. So interpreting both of those stories, the, the, the meta-narrative and the smaller stories that make up the meta-narrative become very important to us. All right. Well, thank you for being with us today. We're going to continue this tomorrow. This is All Things Apostolic, and I'm Nathaniel Wilson. I'm glad you're with us.